Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. I want to start this morning by asking a question. Where is your mind? What thoughts have you been having lately? Let's just think, just this morning, what have your thoughts been about? I read that some psychologists say that we have more than 6,000 thoughts every day. And I have no idea how they distinguish one thought for another, from another, or how they determine that exactly. But I think we could all acknowledge that we have a lot of thoughts every day. So let me ask you, what have your thoughts been about? Have you been intentional with your thoughts? Or do you just kind of let them go wherever they'll go? You know, we, we may be tempted to just let our minds wander. Because, frankly, that's just easier. You know, it can kind of be just relaxing to let our minds go wherever they'll go and just kind of let them do what they'll do. But the fact of the matter is that letting our minds wander, as nice and relaxing as that sounds, is usually a very bad idea. You know, Hannah can tell you that my mind wanders, especially when I'm driving. So there are many times that we have missed our exit because I was not really paying attention. We're driving down the road, and I'm just, you know, my mind is off wandering, thinking about something else, and all of a sudden I hear, uh, you missed your exit. I mean, I... I can't tell you how many times that has happened. It's almost it's a little embarrassing. You know, I'm supposed to be turning right here, and instead I just keep on going. And if it weren't for Hannah reminding me, who knows, you know, how far I would drive before I ever realized that I had missed my turn. And that's more or less a harmless example. But sometimes the wandering of our minds can lead to much more serious consequences. You know, how much of our anxiety comes from us not being able to control our thoughts? Our thoughts go in directions that are just unhealthy for us, that are not good for us, that are dangerous. A lot of our problems stem from our inability to control what our thoughts are about throughout the day. The fact is that what we think about all day matters. Our thoughts are rarely harmless. Paul Uh, was aware of this when he wrote to the church at Rome. He wrote in Romans uh, 8, verses 5 through 7, saying, For those who live according to the flesh, he says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set The mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Paul is very insightful here. He points out that our whole lives depend on what we put our minds on. You've probably heard people say that you can do anything you set your mind to. And regardless of how literally true that is or not, the point is that our minds and the things that we put our minds on are very important. And the way that we exercise our minds can be very powerful. And it can be very destructive. That's why Paul says to set our minds on the flesh is death. 
He says that those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh. And the result of filling our minds with things that are contrary to God is that our lives end up being contrary to God. Let us not imagine that we can think about whatever we want to think about all day long and then live lives that are obedient to God. The two things just won't go together. And Paul says that those who set their minds on the flesh, they don't submit to God's law. In fact, he says, indeed, they cannot. Those who set their minds on the flesh cannot submit to God. Why is that? Why is it that, that if we set our minds on the flesh, we are not able to submit to God? Let's think about this kind of example. Let's say your best friend said something that really rubbed you the wrong way and made you feel about this big, and you can't stop thinking about it. And all of your free time, you're just stewing over this. When you're getting ready in the morning, as you're taking your shower, all you're thinking about is you know, you're replaying the conversation and thinking about how you could have said something to really get back at them, how you could have won that argument, how you could have really put them in their place to show them up. If your mind is filled with anger, how easy do you think it will be for you to forgive that person? The fact is, if we always set our minds on the things of the flesh, we will find it nearly impossible to do the things that God has called us to do. The battle for your life begins in your mind. The battle for your life begins in your mind. And I have to admit that for most of my life, I have treated my thoughts as something that was more or less unchangeable. Or at the very best, I was playing it in, in kind of a defensive mode. You know, as if like, I, I, I would just tell myself, if any bad thoughts enter my mind, I'm just going to try to push them away. But is that the best that we can do? To play defense? To just wait until something bad happens and then try to get away from it? No, I think what Paul is talking about here is an active thing. He says to set, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. He's not just saying don't set your mind on the flesh, but he's saying you need to do something active. You need to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. It's an offensive position rather than just being defensive. We need to decide ahead of time what we're going to think about. We need to set the course for what our thoughts will be focused on. Let's get the upper hand by deciding that we will set our minds on the Spirit. Because that, Paul says, is life and peace. He says to set their mind on the flesh is death. But if we actively set our minds on the things of the Spirit, if we set our minds on the things of God, he says that is life and peace. So how do we do this? How do we set our minds on the things of the Spirit and stay away from the things of the flesh? Hopefully at this point we're all in agreement that that's something we'd like to do. I think everybody here would say, yes, I would like to be able to set my mind on the things of the Spirit. I would like to more naturally be able to obey God. 
I would like to live that kind of life. How do we do that? I would like this morning to make a suggestion to you. We, as Christians, have inherited from our Jewish roots the tool of meditation. This tool of meditation, the Bible talks about as a blessing. As you read through the Old Testament, it becomes clear that meditating on the Word of God is something that is essential to us being able to live a life that is obedient to God. You know, we see this especially uh, when it comes to the Psalms. You, when you read the Psalms, you know, we, we read them as, as uh, one of the books of the Bible, which, which it is one of the books of the Bible. But the Jews and the early Christians used the book of Psalms as their songbook. You know, much like we have a songbook and we read or we sing the songs from this songbook, the Jews and the early Christians would take the Psalms and they would sing these Psalms and they would pray these Psalms because they understood that doing, such, doing this was important for their spiritual formation. And when we come to the book of Psalms, the very first psalm, Psalm 1, is a, it is a declaration. It is an encouragement, and it is something very important. Psalm 1 was purposefully placed at the beginning of the psalms to emphasize one very important point, and that is that a person who wants to live a life faithful to God must meditate on the Scriptures. A person who wants to live a life walking after the Spirit, obedient to God, must meditate on the Scriptures. Kale, thank you for reading Psalm 1. Uh, I'd like for us to read that again. So if you don't mind, grab the, grab the pew in front of you, or grab the, the, the pew Bible in front of you. Um, we may have to kind of share, but uh, hopefully we can all read this together. You grab uh, the pew Bible, uh, Psalm chapter 1. Uh, that's on page 481 in the Psalm or in the uh, Pew Bibles. Page 481. We're going to read Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree that planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does, shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Amen. Look at these two people. Psalm 1 paints a picture of two people, much like Paul talked about two people. Psalm 1 does the same thing. He talks about one person who was like a, a tree that is planted by a river. And then the other person is like chaff 
Chaff is the part of wheat whenever, whenever the grain is taken away, the good stuff is taken away, and you're just left with basically some dry piece of the stem. It's kind of like grass clippings. They're dried up and useless. That's what chaff is. And the psalmist says here that these two men are like the tree planted by a river of water and like chaff. The tree planted by a river is strong and it's fruitful. It can endure hard times. Why? Because its roots go deep into wet soil. So it can draw from its resources of water whenever it needs to. It doesn't have to depend on whether there's going to be rain. It always has its roots in wet soil and always has a supply of water. That's what one person is like. And the other person is like chaff, like grass clippings. They're dried up. They're cut off from any source of water. They basically just turn to dust and blow away in the wind. What is the difference between these two people? The point that the psalmist is trying to drive at us is this. That the person who is like the tree is like the tree because they meditate on the scriptures day and night. Constantly drawing from that resource and being strengthened so that they can be fruitful. And the person who's like chaff doesn't. And so they are inevitably going to dry up and be blown away whenever wind sweeps by. If we set our minds on the Spirit, if we would like to set our minds on the Spirit, if we want to keep our minds away from the flesh, we would do good to follow the example of the man in Psalm 1 who was like a tree planted by rivers of water. We need to be meditating on the Scriptures day and night. Now, what is meditation? This is a word that we um, probably hear frequently, actually, in our society. We hear people talk about meditation. You might hear uh, people, Christians, non-Christians alike, you might hear about meditation in your workplace. Where I work, meditation is encouraged as a, as a means of uh, well-being. And so we hear this term a lot, meditation. But what do people mean when they talk about meditation? If you were to ask the average American what they think meditation is, if you were to poll a random sampling of Americans and ask, what is meditation? You probably would get some different answers. But I would bet one of the most common answers, as they're describing what they think meditation is, would look something like this. They would talk about sitting quietly in a certain position, and they would probably talk about things like uh, that meditation is an emptying of your mind and trying to discover things from within yourself. When practicing this kind of meditation, we are uh, told that we, we empty our minds in order to make contact with, it, with, our, with our, in our, in our inner self, inner self, and that the answers to our problems will come from within if we can clear our minds of all thought. And I'm no expert in, in this kind of meditation, but that's basically the way I understand it. 
This is kind of the popular form of meditation that we hear about today. It's about emptying our minds so that we can understand our inner self. So that we can come to some sort of self-realization. And this is the uh, this practice of meditation is the one that's become popular in the United States really actually comes from some Eastern religions and is in a lot of ways very different from what the Bible means when it talks about meditation. And I don't want to I don't want to be to be very clear. I do not want to bash anybody who practices this form of meditation. But what I do want to do is I want you to understand that whenever the Bible talks about meditation, it has something else in mind. It is talking about something different than what the common understanding of meditation is. While the common understanding and kind of the eastern concept of meditation talks about emptying your mind, the biblical form of meditation talks about filling our minds. While Eastern meditation tells us that we need to look within ourselves for understanding, biblical meditation tells us to release ourselves and look to God for understanding. So this is our uh, definition of biblical meditation. That biblical meditation is filling our minds with the things of God in order to be transformed by God. That is biblical meditation in a nutshell. To fill our minds with the things of God in order to be transformed by God. So, what do we meditate on? One of the uh, earliest biblical examples of the term meditation uh, being used comes from Joshua chapter 1 and 8. This is actually the uh, second time the word meditation is used in the Bible. And we read uh, about this here, Joshua 1.8. Joshua, at this point, has just taken over the uh, rule of Israel from Moses. Moses had just died, and Joshua was taking his place as the leader of Israel. And you can imagine Joshua, in this circumstance, might have been a little bit nervous about taking on this role. And he might not have felt like he was all that prepared, that he had the kind of wisdom that he needed to perform this role. And this is what God says to him to prepare Joshua for this. He says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Sounds The beginning of this sounds a lot like Psalm 1, doesn't it? God tells Joshua, this is what you need to do to be prepared for this role. He says, you need to take this book of the law, and you need to not let it depart from your mouth, but you need to meditate on it day and night. And then what is the result of that? The result is that he will be able to be obedient to all the things that the book of the law called him to do. There is a purpose in mind for biblical meditation. As we meditate on the scriptures, our goal is being transformed by God so that we can become people who obey God. So we can become people who walk in, after the Spirit, who live after the Spirit, and who set our minds on the things of the Spirit so that we can become that sort of a person. This is what... This is what God told Joshua. This is what he needed to do. Okay, so 
we're at this point now where hopefully we all are on the same page that we want to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We want to obey God. And hopefully we see that meditation, meditating on the Scriptures, is a way that, is a way that the Bible has repeatedly told us that we can walk in ways that are in obedience to God. That meditation is a way that the Bible prescribes for us to change who we are, to change into people who will follow after God. But the question remains, how do we actually do this? You know, we've hinted at it a little bit by saying that we are meditating on the scriptures. So, of course, there's a sense in which we're reading the Bible. But can we be more, you know, precise than that? Can we be any more practical than that? I like practical advice. I like practical tips. So hopefully we can talk about some things that are a little bit practical. But uh, first of all, I, I just need to say that the Bible doesn't exactly come with a manual on meditation. It doesn't say, here are your steps, one, two, three, four, five. Do these things specifically, and this is meditation. We have some guiding principles, like we've talked about, that when we're meditating, we are focused on Scripture, that we have a goal in mind of obeying God, but it doesn't. the Bible doesn't exactly uh, give us a specific practice to follow. However, I do want to give us some uh, specific ideas for how you can implement some of these principles. I want to give you some ideas for how you can implement meditation in your own life. And there are two categories that I want to talk about. These two categories are, uh, one is a focused meditation, and the other one is continuous meditation. By focused meditation, I, I mean time that you set aside during your day to sit and do nothing else but think on the scriptures. And by continuous meditation, I mean you meditating and thinking about scriptures throughout the day. Reciting scriptures to yourself so that it's with you throughout the day. Focused and continuous. These may not be the best terms to describe what I'm getting at, but hopefully they'll kind of get us a place to start. So the first one is focused meditation. If you want to set aside some time to meditate on the scriptures. The first thing that I'd recommend is that you need to find a place where you can be alone, that you can be free from distractions, that you can find a place that's quiet, put away your phone or put it on silent, so that you can be alone and not distracted by all the things that go around, go on around us. We see something like this in Genesis 24. This is the first time that the word meditation ever pops up in the Bible. We read in Genesis 24 and 63, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And it doesn't give us any more description than that, but it tells us, this is right before Isaac meets his wife Rebecca, before they meet and are married. It says that Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And while we don't know what all that looked like, he seems at least somewhat purposeful and going somewhere where he can be away from everything else. He goes out into the field probably so that he can be by himself to meditate apart from everything else. And then of course we see the example of Jesus who so many times would withdraw to a place by himself so that he could pray. These are good examples for us to follow because we live in such a, a busy world right now and, and everything around us just seems to be worrying all the time and, and all these things are going on that distract us. We need to find places where we can intentionally get away from those things to focus on Scripture. 
So hopefully we can find a place to do that. The next step would be to fill your mind with the Word of God. And this can be done in multiple ways. But one of the most helpful things for me is related to one of the Hebrew words for meditate. There are basically two Hebrew words that are translated as meditate. One of the most prominent ones, the one that's translated in Psalm 1 and Joshua 1, that word is hagah, which literally means to mutter. It's like speaking quietly to yourself is what hagah literally means. It's translated as meditate, but there's kind of there's something there that kind of clues us in to how the ancient Jews might have meditated by repeating quietly to themselves scripture. So you can just imagine the Jews as they were trying to follow the example of Joshua, as they were trying to implement the life that the man in Psalm 1 had, that they would sit quietly and mutter, Hagah, scripture, repeat it to themselves over and over. And this is a good practice for us today to use, to take a passage that we want to meditate on, pick a passage, preferably starting out just in most of the time, it would probably be best to just pick a single verse and repeat it to yourself over and over again. If you can do that out loud, that's great. If, if you don't feel comfortable doing it out loud, you can take a sheet of paper and write the verse over and over again, thinking about that verse. And as we, as we do that, as we repeat Scripture to ourselves over and over again, one thing that I find helpful is to, as you repeat it each time, change the emphasis on which, you, uh, on, which, on which word you place emphasis so that each time you read it, you're thinking about a different aspect of that verse. Or if you're writing this out on a piece of paper, each time you write it out, underline a different word and think about how that word contributes to the scripture that you're trying to meditate on. An example of this, we can look at Genesis 1.1. If we're meditating on Genesis 1.1, we'd read, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we'd repeat it to ourselves. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and with the verse that you're meditating on, do this. Repeat it and emphasize different words so that you can think more deeply about the scripture that you're trying to meditate on. This will help you to focus uh, I've, I've mentioned to you before that I have a lot of tr uh, trouble concentrating. This is something that really helps me concentrate and focus on a passage of Scripture, to recite it out loud and to change the word that I uh, place emphasis on. As I mentioned, uh, Hagah is one of the, the word that means mutter. That is one of the words in Hebrew that's translated as meditate. The other word that's translated as meditate is siha. And siha means to ponder. It means to think about something, to look at it, and, and to really just think about that. And so we kind of compare these two things together. One hagah, that's this muttering, it's this repeating quietly to yourself, and ponder where you're just thinking about it. And a good practice would be, as, you're, as you uh, think about this passage, or maybe after you've kind of repeated it to yourself, ask questions of the passage. Ask questions about what it means. Think, 
What did it mean to the original audience of Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth? And then ask yourself, what does it mean to me today that God created the heavens and the earth? What do I learn about God from this passage, knowing that he's the creator of heaven and earth? What can I do in my life to make myself more obedient to the God who created the heavens and the earth? Ask yourself these questions and just think of answers in your head or or if you're writing this down, maybe write the answers down on a notepad. Do something to engage your mind to think deeply about that passage in the hope And the expectation is that as we meditate on Scripture, as we fill our minds over and over again with Scripture, that we will find new meaning, that we will be encouraged and learn about the ways of God, that our minds will be filled with the fullness of the wonders of the Word of God. Now, I want to emphasize that these methods are not set in stone. These are not methods that the Scripture says you must do this exactly as what I just said. But there are many people who have found these sorts of methods very helpful in in allowing them to focus on Scripture. So I would strongly encourage you to do something like what I was just saying. So that is a focused meditation, where we have set some time aside to get alone and to just fill our minds over and over again with Scripture. But what about the other category? What about continuous meditation? Remember, continuous meditation is is what we're doing when we're trying to fill our minds with Scripture throughout the day. How can we do that? If we look back at Joshua 1 and 8, in what God told Joshua, he says here, the book of the law, remember, he says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and day. And night. He's told that it should not, the book of the law, scripture, should not depart from his mouth, but that he should meditate on it day and night. Now, when I when I used to read this passage, I used to think that what uh, is being said here is that Joshua, when it's when it says it shall not depart from your mouth, that he was saying, Joshua, you need to be teaching this law, you need to be talking about this law, telling other people about this law. But Uh, After studying this a little more, I think actually he's saying something a little bit different. If you remember this word that's translated as meditate, you shall meditate on it day and night, that's hagah, which means to mutter. And so what God is telling Joshua here is don't let the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Repeat it to yourself. And so what I think what Joshua is being told here is that you need to not stop muttering or repeating, reciting scripture to yourself. Don't let the law depart from your mouth, but mutter it day and night. He's being told to constantly recite scripture to himself. Now this provides us with a picture of Joshua just continuously, nonstop, all day and night, repeating scripture to himself. And while I don't necessarily think he was literally nonstop muttering, to himself, you know, we kind of picture that, and it seems a little bit strange. Might have some trouble interacting with some people in that circumstance. I think this kind of is pointing in the direction, at least, of what it, of what Joshua was expected to do. 
that he was expected to repeat and recite and preach scripture to himself as long as he's awake. From the time he wakes up in the morning until he goes to bed at night, he needs to be recalling scripture into his mind. He needs to be reciting it so that it's always there with him. So that he doesn't go 16 hours between thinking about scripture, but that he's constantly and uh, intentionally reminding himself of scripture by meditating on it, by reciting it to himself. And we can copy this method of reciting scripture to ourselves throughout the day. And of course, there are many passages we read in scripture where it talks about meditation that's all day or all night, all day long, all day and night that, that occurs uh, many times in scripture. And we can copy this method of reciting scripture to ourselves throughout the day. We can uh, let this be a new habit. I would recommend that this become a new habit for you. Let it replace your old habits, your bad habits. Whenever you are tempted to just pick up your phone for no reason, maybe because you're feeling a little bit anxious, if you're tempted to put up your, or to pick up your phone and scroll through Facebook, instead, recite a scripture. Pick a passage that's meaningful to you, and whenever you are, whenever you are about to engage in something that's a bad habit, then instead of engaging in that bad habit, recite your scripture. Whenever you're in a, uh, whenever you're feeling angry towards somebody, instead recite your scripture. Instead of thinking negative thoughts about that person, recite the scripture to yourself. When when a, uh, a thought enters your mind that's set on the flesh, drive it out by reciting to yourself the scripture. Anytime you need to correct your mind, recite the scripture to yourself day and night. And I need to add one additional piece of advice for this, because the only way for this to really be practical for you is for you to memorize Scripture. And I'm not saying that you need to memorize a ton of Scripture, that you need to memorize a whole lot, but the fact is that the only way that we're going to be able to continually recite Scripture to ourselves is if we at least memorize some Scripture. So I would recommend tonight that you memorize one verse. Pick a verse that is meaningful to you. And then all day tomorrow, whenever you need to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, recite to yourself that verse. Do it over and over again. Whenever um, you're driving down the road, you won't have the opportunity to pull out your phone and, and try to find a scripture that's going to be helping you if you start to get angry at the drivers around you. Or if you're, you know, if, if you're really in a face-to-face -face argument with somebody, you're not going to be able in that moment to pull out your Bible and find a scripture that's good for you to meditate on. So memorize some scripture, again, maybe just a little bit, and recite that to yourself whenever you need to remind yourself how to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. So, what is all of this about? Why should you meditate? You should meditate on Scripture because your mind needs to be set on the things of God. Like we talked about at the beginning of this, that we so often find ourselves setting our minds on the things of the flesh, and we find ourselves in a defensive mode where we're just trying to keep those things away. We need to be proactive. 
We need to actively meditate on Scripture so that we can set our mind on the things of the Spirit. If you have over 6,000 thoughts per day, you need a plan for how to navigate them. You need a plan for how you will set your mind. There's a, a story from the book Mere Christianity about a man who was ugly. And so he wore a, face, or a mask on his face all the time. And the mask made him look more handsome. And he wore it for years, year after year. He kept this mask on his face. And then one day he took off the mask and found that his face had formed to the shape of the mask. And that he actually now was handsome. The spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines that we engage in, like meditation, are like that. We're putting on a mask to change who we are from the inside out. Meditation is like putting on a mask to reshape us into the image of Christ. We are putting on Christ with this mask every time that we meditate. And it may feel awkward at first. The mask may not feel very comfortable. When we begin to meditate, it may not feel so natural. But the hope in our prayer and our expectation is that over time, we will learn to change our minds. We will learn how to more instinctively set our minds on the things above. To set our minds on the things of God by repeatedly meditating on Scripture. I would encourage you to do this, to take up this practice. Start tonight. Begin it tomorrow. Meditate on Scripture and set your minds on the things of the Spirit. If there's anybody here this morning who needs any help, we would be more than happy to help you if you come forward while we stand and sing. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com.